I'm Joy Schwartz. And I'm Natalie Siston. We are The The Collective Collective Voice. Voice. We are two college friends who will talk about issues that impact professionals at work and in life. We are very excited to have Kathy Cleveland-Bull join us for this episode of The Collective Voice. Kathy is a sought-after speaker, consultant, and coach. I met Kathy during my freshman year at Ohio State. We were at a women's leadership event, and somehow hometowns came up during our conversation. We learned that we are both from Seneca County, Ohio. Population of our towns combined, wait for it, is a little over 1,000. So that was a natural bonding point. And from then forward, Kathy proved to me that small town kids can make it on a big campus and eventually in a big world. Kathy has remained a friend and mentor since then. Joy, can you tell us how you got to know Kathy? Sure. So I first became acquainted with Kathy via a letter that arrived at my home the day right before I was planning to declare my intent to actually attend another university other than Ohio State. The letter signed by Kathy stated that I was invited to join a leadership-oriented living learning pilot program along with approximately 50 other diverse freshmen called the Mount Leadership Society. I try not to use this expression, but at the time, I really did feel like the universe was trying to tell me something. And I really felt it then. I promptly signed on to attend Ohio State, and I didn't look back. And I'm still really pleased with my decision. Kathy was the first director for this amazing program. She naturally found a way to connect us across gender, race, socioeconomic status, nationality, and across our personality dimensions as well. I strongly believe that the reason I'm so passionate about diversity and inclusion to this day is because of the example Kathy set for me and countless others through this program. It's clear that Kathy has been a mentor to both Joy and me, and we know many, many others. The reason people gravitate toward her is because of her caring nature and her desire to help others succeed. Today's discussion with Kathy is meant to help provide a unique perspective about your career, whether you're new to the workforce or you're a veteran of the workforce. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. Joy and I are excited about this discussion we are going to have. And before we get started, we'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. I would love to, and thank you, Natalie and Joy, for inviting me. This is such a joy for me to be here with you, and especially since I think You know, I'm so not surprised by both of your success and proud of that and like to feel like I played a little role in in helping to launch your career success. Um, But the point um, that we'll get to today is that that success, although it was very, um, you know, predictable in the sense of I knew you'd arrive somewhere like this, but the way you got here was unpredictable. And that's a point I want to come back to, circle back to as we get going, because I think Um, We have great plans for our lives, and it never really works out the way we intend. (laughs) But to give you a little bit of background for uh, your listeners, um, I have a background in psychology and counseling and spent about 20 years, the first 20 years of my career in higher education, working with wonderful, amazing leaders, students like yourselves. (laughs) And then I decided to take a plunge and start my own business in 2001, and uh, which was a professional speaking business, and I did some coaching and training as well, focused around uh, the idea of helping organiz- organizations navigate 
the art and science of change. And so that's my business, Encompass Consulting. And then two years ago, um, I got another brilliant idea to start another business, and it's called the Center for Eating Psychology, which I opened in January of 2014, where I help um, individuals, women, men, young, old, um, deal with issues that they have around weight, body, um, body image, eating, fears around food. Um, I want to help people find freedom around eating. And so I use my background in, in psychology and counseling and then a certification that I received in coaching to help people with that. So it's healing mind, body, and soul is the, is the focus of that work. Thanks, Kathy. It was really great to hear a little bit more about your trajectory because I don't think I got that much insight, or at least I don't remember it from when I was a freshman. So I appreciate the refresher, and I know our listeners will as well. I know you have five key lessons for our audience today. So why don't we jump right in and get started with your first lesson? And I know you'll have some stories or anecdotes you'll sprinkle in along the way. Right. Well, um, to back up to when I was a college student, my senior year in college, it was actually spring of my senior year in college, I had a stack of 11 rejections from all the PhD programs I applied to. Wow. So that was a little indicator from the universe that you need to go a different <laughs> direction. So it was pretty clear. I didn't have to like think about that for very long. And um, what I ended up doing was walking into um, the director's office for a master's program in college student development. And I sat down with him and said, um, you know, I want to talk to you about getting into this master's program. And he asked me, well, why do you want to um, get a degree in, in master's degree in college student development? And I said, all the other doors have been closed. Mm. All the other doors have been closed. Mm -hmm. So this was the window I floated through, and it really launched a fabulous career in higher ed that I, I loved, absolutely loved it. And so, um, so my first lesson, I guess, is uh, something that I learned from that experience and, and many others since then. That's just the first big one, uh, is allow for mystery. Allow mm -hmm. for mystery. Mm -hmm. Because you can have great plans, as I mentioned before, but it's very difficult to assume you know what is going to come in front of you, what, what um, stumbling blocks are going to be there, what dead ends, what major left turns, major right turns, what opportunities are going to knock. You just don't know. And, and we, you two and myself, we tend to be very planful, organized people. <laughs> and so sometimes it's difficult to just sort of let go and allow I heard something recently that I, that I love, and I can't remember where I heard it, so I can't give you the exact person who, who said this. Um, but the idea was that early in life, we have a lot of uh, willfulness. We get very willful about things, like, I want to do this, I'm going after this, I'm going to charge ahead. And as we age and as we have more life experiences, we have to shift more to willingness. And I think that's a really important point. And so I practice now a lot more, after 30 years in the workforce, experiencing and, and allowing the mystery and being more willing, just willing to see what's showing up. Where is my energy going? Um, and where is my energy falling back? If my energy is falling away from something, I think that's a pretty clear indicator. That's not the direction to go anymore. Mm -hmm. Whereas my, if my energy is still really strong around something, if there's a lot of energy around a topic or a passion or an interest, I'm going to go there. And that is a, that's very different from sort of having a plan and charging ahead and doing it no matter what. There's something to be said for 
that kind of achievement or, or driven nature. But there's, but I think that only gets you so far. I think there's something that's important um, about the idea of being willing and allowing for that mystery. So does that make sense? Does that sort of it does connect it, with you? It does, and I think it explains your latest career move that you mentioned to us with your Center for Eating Psychology. You could have continued doing the same things, but something must have sparked for you that you said, okay, I'm going to go get this. I'm going to get another certification. I'm going to build a new client base and move forward with this new new passion point. That's exactly what happened. I just found another interest and decided to just go for it. That's a fantastic lesson, Kathy. I think that analogy about willful, willing is huge. Joy and I talk about our achievement motive a lot. I think that's going to give us both something to go back and talk about is when is the universe talking to us versus just our will of, of, of push right forward when maybe that's not the right thing to push forward through. So one thing that Joy and I also talked about is that sometimes we're on our late night calls after the kids are in bed and our husbands are packing lunches for the next day. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We start to peel in some humor among our work advice, and we wanted to ask you what advice you have about gaining that perspective with, with humor. That's great, Natalie. It really leads into my second thought that I wanted to share, a piece of advice, I guess you could say, although I'm hesitant to offer advice. Um, just a, a tip. Let's just call it a little <laughs> gentle tip. That's the counselor in you, isn't <laughs> right, it? Right, right. So it's it's take your work seriously, but yourself lightly. And um, I think a, a lot of us, um, you know, probably a, a lot of your listeners um, tend to be achievement-oriented people like yourselves. And there's a, you know, you get the best degrees and you get the best credentials and you go for everything that you want. You build this fabulous resume, which is wonderful, but then it can sort of become who you are. Like all your identity is wrapped up in that resume and those credentials and that degree. And then you become a little one-sided in terms of feeling that, you know, we're just so um, puffed up and confident and ready to take on the world, which is fine. Um, but it sort of reminds me of like the man, I heard this story once about the man who, instead of fixing his brakes on his car, he just said, just make my horn louder. Like, I'm just going to, you know, beat my horn louder <laughs> because it, it, you know, it was like, I don't need working brakes. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to put the brakes on. I'll just make sure everybody gets out of my way. Cause mm. here I come. So maybe not the best strategy and maybe a better strategy is, um, you know, instead of horns blaring full on full power, is sort of easing up a little bit and, you know, fixing the brakes to use them every now and then might be a good idea, a good strategy. Um, so, yeah, you want to um, develop your credentials and put your best foot forward, obviously, but th- but that can also lead to a tiny bit of arrogance. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll get back to this a little bit later, too. But um, so taking yourself lightly, I think, is the way of reminding each of us to just sort of realize, whereas maybe the work we're doing is important work and valuable work and meaningful work, and I wish that for everybody, that they find meaningful work, um, being able to balance that with a little bit of lightheartedness internally and uh, less um, sort of egocentric view uh, of, like, I'm the center of the universe type <laughs> thing. You know, I mean, it can, it can build up that way. We can go there, and uh, we just need to have some way of reminding ourselves 
um, and you're both mothers of young children, I think children have a great way of helping us remember you're not all that. Like they <laughs> it's don't not look all about at, me. Right. They don't yeah. look at your resume. They're they're impressed when you, you know, make great mac and cheese. You know, that's <laughs> like, wow, she's awesome. Um, the degrees aren't so important to those little ones. And so just it's a it's a great reminder of what's truly important. I think just um, sort of lightening up would be another tip. Kathy, those were some great points and anecdotes as well. I love the connection you made to parenting. It reminds me of the way my colleagues and I approach things when we're experiencing some stress. And we often send each other goofy pictures or videos of our kids when things get really stressful. Last week, I think it was, my daughter took a bunch of red onions off of one of our hamburgers and was wearing them like bracelets. <laughs> and so I texted the picture to a couple of my colleagues and said, okay, not only do I need fashion accessory advice, but apparently my daughter does as well. <laughs> so I think it's a nice way to do a little bit of what you were saying, not taking our achievement motive so seriously and bringing some levity to our situation and not making it all about us. And moving on, I understand that your third lesson may be helpful to those of us who are or coach leaders um, in our work or outside of work. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I want to um, bring up this next point, and it really is my favorite. Okay, so we're going to put that right in number three as my favorite one. But I want to bring it up by telling a story that I had read that I really love about Golda Meir and when she was... Uh, you know, she's former prime minister of Israel. And I wrote this down because I wanted to share. She was once described this way, and this is a quote, as the strong-willed, straight-talking, gray-bund grandmother of the Jewish people. And I, I just love, love that. And so she was said, it was said that she kept two pieces of paper, one piece of paper in each pocket. And on one, and, and she would pull them out based on whatever was called for at the moment. So in one pocket... The piece of paper said, I am dust and ashes. And in the other pocket, the piece of paper said, and for me, the world was made. Wow. Hmm. And so depending on whether she was feeling puffed up and needed a little humility or was feeling challenged and needed a little support, she would base what, which pocket she would reach for. And I just, I love that story. And it's, it's also, there's an old Serbian proverb that said, be humble for you are made of earth, be noble for you are made of stars. So it's, a, it's the balancing of this, this dirt and the stars, you know, being grounded and reaching for the sky. And that, if you can't hold paradox, you can't understand that. There has to be a point where you, have, you can understand and hold two seemingly very, very diverse views at the same time. We're dust and we're stars. We're dust and we're stars. And so stay grounded and reach, be lofty in your, in your goals and your vision. So that's my intro to bring you to this third point, which I love, um, which is to sprinkle your enthusiasm with the magic fairy dust of humility. So Kathy, as a member of the tribe, I absolutely love that you cited a story from Gold in My Ear. And having traveled to Israel myself, I can share with you and our listeners that it really is a country full of paradox. And you really have to take a balanced view and open mind and realize mm -hmm. that the world isn't the way it seems and certainly not the way it's portrayed in the media when you travel there. Right. So I love it, and I'm always going to be thinking about those pieces of paper yeah, in my pockets. Maybe yeah, you'll, maybe you'll actually write those out and put them in your pockets. You never know. <laughs> absolutely. 
So, Kathy, now that our minds have officially been blown, <laughs> we want to get to the next next point you have for us. Okay. Well, I, I'll also begin this one with a little bit of a story. Um, my first job out of graduate school after those 11 rejections from grad school, PhD programs, and then I did go on to get uh, two master's degrees. Then I worked for my first job was at NC State, um, which I loved. And I had a fabulous mentor there. His name was Ron Butler, but we called him Mr. Butler because in the South, you refer to, you know, the, the older gentleman by either Mr. or Doctor. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Butler was just a great uh, mentor for me. And I know prior to my experience of him, I was very perfectionistic. And I sort of thought that was the way to get somewhere. Just do it perfectly. Don't screw up. There's your answer. And it was Mr. Butler who taught me that perfectionism is the royal road to disaster. And I, and the way he taught us that was he used to say, he encouraged all of us, all the new professionals in particular, to make mistakes, take risks, really put yourself out there. Like, don't play it safe. And that was very scary for a new professional. Like, what if I just completely, you know, deep six my career because I just made a major mistake? Oh, yeah. And his quote was this. There's no failure until you blame someone else. All of it is learning. Can you imagine if you heard that from you, like your mentor or teacher or boss when you first started out, like how freeing that is? It just oh, yeah. like opened up everything. There is no failure. It's all learning. The only failure is if you blame somebody. So you better not walk into his office and say, that wasn't my fault. So-and-so, you know, they were the ones that screwed up because that was the kiss of death right there. But if you could own up to to making a mistake, or I remember one time actually overspending my budget, and I walked in and I said, I'm so sorry, overspent the budget. And he goes, thank you for taking complete responsibility. I've added money to your budget for next year. (laughs) So, I mean, he really lived by that. He didn't just, you know, sort of lip service. Yeah, it wasn't lip service. It was very, very true. So I think, um, you know, my next um, piece of advice, which nobody wants to hear, everybody's going to completely disagree with this. You're going to get calls. You're going to get texts. You're going to get emails about this. But the point is be willing to disappoint. Be willing to disappoint. And what, what I mean by that is take enough of a risk that you can end up, you know, by default disappointing, not intentionally, but because you took a risk, be willing to disappoint. So um, said another way, you know, there, there's a natural rhythm to life. There's a natural rhythm of moments of triumph, and then there's moments of defeat. You, you don't just get one. There, you know, you, it's an ebb and a flow. It's a natural rhythm. And so success and failure are the path. Think about how many times a failure or a mistake was exactly what you needed. That was the exact thing you needed to, um, you know, to, to make you think differently or make you do differently, like sort of flipped a switch for you. So you can't just have it one way. You can't just have it all perfect. Um, that it's just life will never, life will dish out something that you'll have to accept if you think you can, you know, pull that off. Um, that's why perfectionism is just not the way to go. It's going to, it's going to bite you every time. So not to put you on the spot, Kathy, but so other than blowing your budget that one time, do you have any other examples of when things might not have gone your way? Oh, I probably have too many to, to mention. Let's see if one really good one sort of comes to my mind. Well, how about I buy you a minute? I have thought on this okay, one, too. Great. Yeah. Great. So I've, 
I often get asked this question when I'm coaching students, and certainly in my former life as a career coach, students will ask, what's okay to answer in an interview about a time I had a failure? Mm -hmm. And I don't often have the, the positive answer, the right answer, but I usually say, you know, not a time that resulted in your termination. Yeah, right. Right. Don't share that one. <laughs> right. And not an instance in which you lost a lot of money. And so you oh, know, hum- great. humorous yeah. take on it, right? But everything else is probably fair game for the most part. And obviously in an interview, you need to put an appropriate spin on it. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of lessons mm-hmm. to be learned from the smaller mistakes we've made on the job. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I can think of one um, that my husband made that... Um, I think it's still in his mind, you know, it resulted in uh, not a great circumstance, but um, it was the right thing to do. And so sometimes there are those experiences that you have to make in a very political environment where you just trust your value system and you trust your intuition and you trust your gut about what's right. And it may not be um, valued in the organization. Um, there may be some consequences for it, but you're living your life true to yourself. And so I think, um, they might be, Mm -hmm. it might be labeled as like a mistake. Like you shouldn't have been such a good guy. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. have been so honest. And that was his case. He went to his boss and shared something in advance uh, about an opportunity, a professional opportunity that was coming up and the boss felt threatened and that was the end of that story. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he did what he felt, he felt true to himself. Like I, I just, I'm not going to stop doing what I think is right, um, from an integrity standpoint, um, despite so the, the consequences. Right. So the being willing to fail for lack of better terms allows you to be your more authentic self. Is that, would you agree Absolutely. with that? Absolutely. Wow. Very well said. Yeah. Very well said. So Kathy, I want to get back to what you said a second ago around perfectionism and being willing to disappoint. In my current role, my manager often says, we are being asked to do more than is humanly possible. And another one of my colleagues elsewhere in the organization says something like, I feel like I'm disappointing people on a daily basis. And that's just really difficult. I think we put so much on ourselves. And if I think about it in my own personal context, I've recently been asked to take on a new body of work on top of my existing workload and to figure out a way to make it work. And so I feel like your advice was really well-timed for those of us who are feeling that pull to continuously scale our work and do more with less. And what it conjures up for me is the fact that I can't do it alone and I need the support of others. And I think that translates really nicely or is a good segue into your, your fifth lesson. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because it really is a great segue um, my last point is something that I pulled. It's a powerful concept that comes from um, the Hopi Indian prophecy that they wrote at the beginning of the new millennium. And that the last paragraph of that, I'll actually read the whole thing, but, but the point is the time of the lone wolf is over. That's the, that's the message. The time of the lone wolf is over. But the whole paragraph that that comes from is this. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. And here's a real beautiful ending sentence. For we are the ones we've been waiting for. Hmm. And so it's, it's the we that I want to emphasize. So um, a lot of times when you come into a new organization, and I don't care whether it's a for-profit company, a nonprofit, educational institution, 
hospital setting, banking, government, they're all, they all operate with some competition within the larger organization. That's sort of a given. And um, maybe you've come in and the boss is telling you, um, don't worry about anybody else, just get in there, hunker down, do your job. That sounds like it would be good advice, um, but the time of the lone wolf is over. It's just not enough to do your job. You don't live or work in isolation. It's not enough to just care about my immediate team, my work group, um, my boss, my unit, my division. Uh, and you might be reporting to someone who really views things in a scarcity silo model. And they're sort of hounding you to just um, fight for resources, uh, you know, scratch and claw your way up the organization. Um, we, we've got to hunker down. We've got to circle the wagons. We've got to protect our resources. Mm -hmm. And when you get that message over and over, it's really, especially if it's from people above you, it's really easy to believe it. But that's not the way we have to move forward. If we want to really move forward, um, we have to not think that it's as simple as, you know, we're the good guys and we're fighting against them. They're the bad guys. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it, we're one tribe. We're one tribe. And at some point, you have to draw your circle large enough that you take in all the thems. Like, your us circle mm -hmm. just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then there are no more thems. Does that make sense? Like, we yeah. have to grow. We have to grow mm -hmm. our, our the way we view who's in and who's out. Like, there can't be a lot of outs anymore. That's not the way the world's operating any longer. You Look, look around. I mean, just turn on the news. If we could just stop seeing us and them and ex make that concentric circle larger and larger and mm -hmm. larger, we'd, yeah. be a different, we'd be a different place. We'd certainly have a different workplace, yeah. but we might be a different society altogether. And I think, you know, it's not too much to ask all of us to start thinking that way. So don't operate as it's us and them. Start thinking about um, we, we, we. And I, I just truly believe that. It reminds me, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, it was like a New Yorker cartoon, but it reminds me of the um, New Yorker cartoon where all the peace marchers were clubbing each other with their peace signs. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? Okay. So um, we have to stop. We have to stop clubbing each other. Kathy, I wrote down four things that you said during that time. You said scarcity, silo, ego, and fight for resources. I just came back from a national sales conference, and we were talking a lot about the need to let our ego go aside, and we have to start working together. If, if any company, regardless of your industry, you want to leapfrog the competition, you have to get your head above the water, and you have to see see all parts of the business um, and work together. I think this is so timely, and we could probably spend an hour talking about just this, this point alone, but mm -hmm. it's absolutely right whether you're talking about how we think about our neighborhoods and our communities it needs to be a we and in our companies i think joy you're experiencing the same thing within your organization oh yeah absolutely i mean i think our organization used to operate as a conglomerate conglomerate of mini fiefdoms mm -hmm. businesses and functions that would operate autonomously and even if i think about it within the context of my own function from a leadership development standpoint we are now recognizing and realizing that the needs are not all that different from one organization to another. And this is a similar paradigm shift that other organizations are experiencing. And I like the way you framed it, Kathy, in that 
we just become more inclusive in the way that we think about the we versus the I. And we haven't been conditioned to do that in no. organizations, certainly not through the recruitment process, and even more so um, in organizations that are competing for resources. But I think we realize that we can accomplish more if we partner together, we learn from each other, and we collaborate, and we can do things more efficiently, and we can do more with less. So there's certainly a, a business impact and a societal impact if we think that way and we operate that way, right. for sure. Kathy, these five lessons have been great. We will remember to allow the mystery into our life, to take our work seriously and ourself lightly, to sprinkle our enthusiasm with magic fairy dust of humility, that perfectionism is the royal road to disaster, and that the time of the lone wolf is over. So what what other final uh, thoughts do you have for us today? Well, the first is... Don't take my word for it on any of, <laughs> any of those. I mean, who's Kathy? Like, why should I listen to her? Don't take my word for it. Go out and find out for yourself. Like, take any one of those and say, I'm going to test this theory. I want to find out if it's true. Like, make sure it's true for you um, and test the theory. So I would say that that's the first thing I want to um, uh, mention. And then the second one is um, the most everybody who's who's listening probably has some job and maybe it's a job they love maybe it's a job they're just okay about but um, there there's a difference between a job and a vocation and I want to share this because I think it's a, a powerful concept so if somebody's listening and sort of not quite sure where they fit or um, listening because they're sort of in a transitional mode or thinking that there might be another calling or direction in their life, I want, I want to share this. So there's a wonderful book called The Middle Passage, and it's by a psychotherapist by the name, very famous guy by the name of James Hollis. And in it, he writes this, a vocation, which is from the Latin vocatus or calling, is what we are called to do with our life's energy. We don't really choose a vocation, rather it chooses us. So the vocatus is to become ourselves as fully as we are able. For you're judged not only by the goodness of your heart, but also by the fullness of your courage to be the larger person you're called to be. That, that is really, I think, I'd like to say that that's what you guys are trying to do. Um, you're trying to help people find the larger person they're called to be. It's certainly what both of you are living true in your own lives. It's what I feel like I'm intending to do with my life. I'm, I'm constantly... Um, trying to live the best self that I am, not copycat anybody else, um, but to be my best self. And so that's when, that's when you know you've really found your vocatus, your vocation, is when it's something that really moves you towards being your best self. So I guess I would end with that. I love it, Kathy, and it aligns so nicely with things that Natalie and I have said about our reasons for starting this podcast, even the title of it, The Collective Voice, mm -hmm. because we really do want to help others find theirs, and I like the that particular lesson that you shared in addition to all the others. So thank you so much, and we're so grateful that you could join us to share your story and support our podcast series as we kick it off. It's been amazing to see you again and hear your voice. And we just thank you for the lessons you shared with us and our listeners. And I'll leave you with one final question, our listeners as well. 
how might they learn more about you and your organization? Well, first of all, just thank you for inviting me because it's great to see both of you. I'm proud of both of you. And um, if they're interested in my uh, the speaking business or the, the consulting business that works around change management and navigating the art and science of change, that website is www.encompass, and that's spelled N-C-O-M-P-A-S-S hyphen consulting.com. So that's for that piece. And I would love to coach anybody on eating and uh, in my eating psychology business. And so that website is www.cpeohio.com. And you can reach me at, at both of those websites or through this phone number, 614-397-1966. And would love to hear thoughts from anybody. Be sure to check her out, everybody. And thanks again, Kathy. Thanks for joining us. And be sure to check out future podcasts of The Collective Voice on iTunes. This is Natalie Siston, and this is Joy Schwartz with The The Collective Collective Voice. Voice.